We just started. <laughs> Thank you. Simmer down, simmer down, simmer down, simmer down. Listen, everybody's so excited in the studio, you know what I'm saying? Uh, welcome, 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 everyone. My name is David Andrade, in case you don't remember. Um, and I am one of the co-hosts here at the Father's Uplift podcast. Who, yo, who's the other co-host? Oh, right. My man can't talk. It's George. It's George. For those who don't know, it's George. The brilliant George. Um, and today, we actually have two very special guests, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Shakina Copeland. I'm a master's level clinician here at Father's Uplift. Um, I provide mental health services and services <laughs> to our dads in the community who have recently come out of incarceration and who's just dealing with stuff in their lives. Damn. That was good. That was good. Appreciate you sharing that. Who else we got? My name is Shante Leathers Edo. I'm a licensed certified social worker. I currently work for Mass General Hospital in the liver transplant department as a social worker. And I am a former DCF social worker as well. Ooh, okay then. We got letters behind our names. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, so, question. Uh, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, because I think that, uh, Shante, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, um, I want to, you mentioned that you're a DCF worker and I feel like everyone always wants to take shots at the DCF social worker for like taking away their kids and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like, I would imagine that that has to be a difficult experience working there. Yes. Absolutely. It is hard. It is challenging. Um, but that's not just the only role. I feel like people see that because it's the optics of social work, of DCF in particular. Yeah. They're going to come in and steal my kids. Yeah. But that's not always the case. I okay. think in the time that I worked for DCF, I may have done one removal, okay. and it wasn't even on my caseload. Really? Yeah. Okay. So um, I think making this, for me, it was making a sound decision to come to DCF to like yeah. force some impact on the community in a way to bring change forth and see what happens. Okay. So how did you even like end up at DCF? Um, that's a little story. Yeah. <laughs> so when I first uh, graduated with my master's, I was like, I'm not going to DCF. Word. DCF is like horrible. <laughs> You'll never catch me there. Mm -hmm. But I was working as a program director um, down in Back Bay at a homeless shelter. And DCF came across my LinkedIn yeah. and they were looking and they called and said, hey, um, would you be interested? And I sat back, it was a little more, more money than what I was getting paid, and I was like, well, do you want to go into this environment? How can you, you know, bring forth change in this in this environment? Do you want to do it? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try. What? And I did. I um, entered DCF in 2019, and I stayed till 2022. Yeah. Um, and what else was there? No, that so is. when you went to DC, actually, question, mm -hmm. truly, be honest, was like the money a factor? Yeah. Be the state employee. That's the state benefits. You know what? I do feel like we need to start discussing this more often. We need to start social workers. Like, don't don't be on some like, oh, I'm gonna take a pay cut and help out. No, 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 no get no. your bag, no, yo. You, you have to. And even with their offering, it wasn't even like, oh, I'm gonna be rich. Yeah. It was just more than what I was yeah. making at my like previous you, job. you might be able to survive in the city. Exactly. Word. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, do you feel like? Like, it was like, I mean, you said it was a difficult job, but do you feel like everybody was kind of struggling with, like, the work that you guys were doing? Or would you say that there's, like, a decent amount of work-life balance? What, what, what there's no work-life balance wow. with UCF. okay. You either all in, mm -hmm. and if you're not all in, then you fight in your supervisor because you're not all in. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, listen, 
I appreciate having this job. I appreciate, you know, working with my, my clients, but there has to be a balance. Yeah. Y'all not going to keep me from 8 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. till 11 p.m. at night. Ooh. That's not, that's not the life of a mother yeah. and a wife no. and, you know, a daughter I and a sister. That. Like, nah, there has to be balance there. Yeah. And because I put my foot down in that area, mm-hmm. I didn't have a good relationship with my supervisor. Interesting. I didn't. Okay. And would you say that that's the case for, like, a lot of other people or just it depends on at what level you're bringing them in yeah. now because i have my own story i was a good in my 30s when i started at dcf which means i had already established a work home life yeah if you're bringing in a 22 year old fresh mm-hmm. out of college and they don't have no husband or no family and they ain't got no kids then they're like yeah i'm all in you got you need a, 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 a emergency worker i'm here till midnight you need an overnight to sit with these kids at the hospital i'm gonna go do it and that's great but you're getting burnt out at a quicker a quicker rate than I am because I got, this is a nine to five for me right now, maybe a nine to seven if I need to do something extra. But after that, I got to go home and feed the kids. <laughs> so it was different for me. Yeah. No, okay. I can pick that up. And if you don't mind me asking, how big was your caseload? Um, it would question. fluctuate from like, ni- you can think of like 19 to 26 cases. And that might seem like a little bit, but think about the three kids on each case. Yeah. So you multiply that. You got a good 60 people on your caseload. You have to go to three different schools for all three different kids, maybe. You know, and then you have to worry about the mom and the dad and where, where they're at as well. Yeah. And that's what I try to explain to my clients who are going through the system. You know, that it's not all on your caseworker. They have so much more to do. So mm-hmm. just try to give them grace as you're going through your own crisis. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Would you say, all right, day one, DCF. What, did you feel like they gave you like cool training? Like, did you feel like it was an accurate amount? What was your caseload like? The, at the training beginning? is different than actually being in the work. Okay. Like they get they gave us a good month of training, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't like in the field training. It was yeah. sitting behind the desk doing like, "Are you safe? Yeah. What is racism?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trainings versus yeah. up. You're in the field. My first day in the field, it was four thirty. We were supposed to get off at five. And my supervisor said, oh, you're new. There's a case that just came up. You're going out in the field. And I'm like, it's 4.45. I had 15 minutes left. What you mean I'm going out in the field? And I was like, I'll do it today. And I went. And I think that she was trying to, like, build up the structure of what the job would be like for me. And I shut that down real quick. Like, I got to go home. I got to go pick up my kid from school. But then there were other workers who were going and draining themselves and doing the overnights and stuff like that. Somebody has to do it. But ultimately... It should be a group effort, I think. Everybody yeah. needs to have like a designated day where they can do that. You just don't throw people into the work, especially yeah. on their first in their first week. Yeah. Because yeah. that already puts a bad taste in the person's mouth. I'm yeah. not gonna be here for much longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I know, you know, almost graduating from college, you know, teachers are trying to professors are trying to convince us to go work at DCF and everybody in the class is looking at each other like, Hell mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. We're not working at DCF, so y'all gonna have to find somebody else to do it. Mm-hmm. So, I think we should switch gears. First of all, I just want to name the fact that we're all BU, SSW, you know, yes. social workers. Ah, shout out to the Terry again. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Listen, we in here. I see you. I see you. BU. Uh, <laughs> uh, Michigan, I want to ask you a question. Um, I know. Actually, so do you want to explain your role a little bit and what you do here? Yeah, so um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a clinical therapist here at Father's Uplift. Um, and I work with dads who are coming out of incarceration, dads who are fighting for their kids with DCF, um, and dads who just want help with their mental health and co-parenting. Mm-hmm. 
So, what do you believe are some of the biggest challenges facing fathers in today's society, and how do you address this in your work? Um, I think some of the biggest challenges our dads are facing, a huge one that everyone's facing is housing. Okay. Um, and it's difficult when they come in here looking for housing because we're limited in our resources. Yeah, we can give you a housing list, a wait list, yeah. but it's not going to be automatic. You can be yeah. on that wait list for five to seven years. Yeah. Um, and also a lot of the affordable and low income housing is geared towards single mothers. So yeah. that's another barrier that we have to go through. So it's difficult when they come in here saying, I need housing. You know, I can't get custody of my kids because I don't have enough space. I'm already doubling up with other people. And there's nothing really we can do for them immediately. Yeah. Um, another big challenge that dads deal with is jobs and incomes that provide a livable wage. Okay. Um, yeah, some of them are working. A lot of them are working, but they're living check to check or not even making it to the next check. Yeah. So we need job trainings and yeah. we need to help our dads, especially our dads coming out of incarceration. They really have, um, you know, a stamp on their back. So it's hard for them to get housing and get jobs. So we definitely need to um, look into changing policies that protects the rights of our dads. Yeah. Um, and also another thing is being connected to a primary care provider um, and, you know, someone that they know and they can trust and mm -hmm. who knows about black health. Yeah. I appreciate that last point, too, because I feel like that's something that we don't talk about enough. Yeah. You know, it's actually going to get checked out, especially mm -hmm. as men, I feel like it's... Like, people tell me all the time, go to the doctor, I'm like, yeah, 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 I get to it. Don't worry about it. No, and that's the thing, and we don't realize that, you know, our dads might be suffering from health issues, and that can be affecting their mental health mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just a lot of things we need to educate ourselves about, and a lot of policies that need to be changed. Yeah, no, I love that. I appreciate that. That's, like, good feedback, so if anyone listening, you know, take that in for real. Um, but, Shakina, can you talk about, like... Uh, the role of community resources and support systems um, in the lives of like the fathers that you work with and their families? Yeah, so I think community resources are always <coughs> needed, especially, I don't know if we're calling it post-pandemic, but we're kind of still in the pandemic, but all the pandemic relief is being taken away now, but the mm -hmm. cost of living is still skyrocketing. The cost of food is skyrocketing. You know they're cutting out um, the family, the extra food stamps they were getting next month is going to be the last month for that. But the cost of groceries is still sky high. Mm -hmm. These are parents, they're not making it to the end of the month with their groceries. What are they doing? Um, also, our community members are dealing with food insecurity. That I know Fathers Uplift, we give out, you know, gift cards when we can, but it's still not enough. Um, I know we used to do food drop-offs. Hopefully we can start that back soon. You know, a lot of other community agencies are doing the same things, and they have food pantries, but there's always going to be need. Mm -hmm. um, That's real. Yeah, and I feel like as a nation, we're constantly experiencing vicarious trauma due to the police killings um, of unarmed black men, mass shootings, mm -hmm. death by suicide. All, of the, all of these things are very real. Um, mental health professionals are overworked and burnt out. Mm -hmm. We're not being paid enough. Um, we have these crazy long wait lists and we really can't offer the people anything because it's not enough of us out here. No. Um, and it's just really a time when the community needs to come together and support one another however we can. Um, because if the parents aren't healthy, then the children aren't healthy. No, so we all need to work together and just do better. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, no, that's real. And just with groceries alone, I was just thinking about eggs being like $10 yeah. right now. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it's so expensive. Yeah. I just don't eat. 
Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll um, save the food for the children. Yeah, yeah, no, for real, for real. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit, Shante. Um, I mean, can you talk to me maybe about like a particularly challenging case that you had when you worked at DCF and like how did you navigate that? So for me, um, a particularly challenging case for me was um, dealing with the father who went through incarceration um, and wanted to get in contact with his child. And he had went through, by the time I got the case came to me, he probably had been through six other social workers um, prior to the case coming to me. So when I got the case, I'm reviewing it and it's like, don't meet with this person alone. Don't go to this person's house. Um, the picture painted was very dangerous and scary. Yeah. And um, it kind of felt like the person has to prove himself in order to see his child. Mm. So the first visit, I believe, I met with him at the office. And I just sat down with him and just kind of talked it out. I didn't, like, go in there with his, you know, binder and say, oh, you did this and you did that. It was just like, no, let's have a conversation. Like, yeah. we're meeting here. Where do you live? What are you doing? You know, that type of thing. And he was very open and transparent, and we just had a conversation. And I'm like, they were scared to go, go to his house. Like, it was, was kind of <laughs> yeah. shocking. And these are our like, dads that we're communicating with. All and the I'm time. like, you know, <laughs> okay. Um, he wanted his daughter. He wanted custody of his his child. Um, the mom was involved, but she didn't have custody. The child was in foster care, yeah. and she was okay with that. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. Yeah. And he had completed everything that he thought he completed everything that the system was asking for. Yeah. And there were some things there that he had not completed, but majority he had. Yeah. But the optics of it was that he didn't look like a good father yeah. because he has a history of domestic violence, yeah. because he has a history of drug abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and does that mean that this person doesn't get to see their, their child? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that they don't get visitation? Does that mean that he can't raise his, his child? Yeah. So that was a difficult case because I had to advocate for him and the yeah. child. Yeah. Which means I had to take a step back. When I did their first visit, I had to look at how the child was reacting to her father. Yeah. Was it like I'm scared of him? Or yeah. was it like I missed him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you see a child embrace their father, yeah. and they have to go back and you have to say, oh, it's time to go and take yeah. her back to foster care, that's not cool for me. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. Yeah. So in my eyes, I'm like, I'm going to get this man his baby back. <laughs> like, and I, I have to. Like, you know, like, so much society paints dads as the villain. Mm-hmm. And when we work with these dads from DCF, I feel like sometimes they go harder than the moms go mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of the times. And we need yeah. to put a spotlight on that, that yeah. these dads want to be involved in their children's lives. Some, some of them do. Some of them go hard. And it's just like because of the optics, because of what um, we perceive as, like, they're not good enough. Yeah. Then we, we have the right to say that they can't or they can. Yeah. And that's the piece that I didn't, like, I wasn't for. So even though I worked for DCF, not all DCF workers are there to steal your children. Yeah. We yeah. want to reunify. Yeah. Depends on where you come from. Yeah. Are you coming based off of what you've learned in school? Oh, yeah. this is right. This is wrong. Yeah. Or are you using the sense and yeah. common sense and sitting back and saying, oh, that child really missed her dad. Okay. She hasn't seen him in a really long time. Yeah. So that case was challenging because I had to advocate for the father and the child. But from the history, the supervisor wasn't there for what I was and advocating And that's why for. lived experience is so important. <laughs> it's not always what you're reading in a textbook because somebody with that that didn't have that lived experience you had would have went off of what DCF was telling them. Yeah. And Absolutely. it would have been a whole other outcome. So let me ask you this. What do you, the question is, what do you believe are some of the biggest challenges um, that the child welfare system is facing today? 
So uh, DCF workers are overpaid. I'm sorry, overworked and underpaid. Um, they're not making enough. So if you're gonna drain somebody out all day and night, and their salary isn't there's no increase, that's yeah. a that's a problem. Yeah. Like you can't expect people to put their best selves in there if they're working all night and then getting up at eight o'clock in the morning and have to go back to the same fight and the same struggle. Yeah. Um, some of the workers are not fully educated on the environments that they're working in, walking into. Yeah. Um, let's start there. You can have a white social worker, let's call on race, we can have a white social worker heading into um, Franklin Park, Franklin Field projects, and they're scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, from just based off of what they've seen on the news, yeah. they're terrified. They're not walking in there humbly trying to see and meet people where they are. They're yeah. walking in scared and saying, oh crap, is the, is the gun gonna come by? Is somebody yeah. gonna shoot me? What am I walking into? Do I need to call the police? Mm-hmm. They're afraid. So um, that needs to be acknowledged, I think. And the training around that needs to happen. There's not much training there besides call the police if you feel unsafe. Do you think that DCF social workers are open to collaboration with other social workers? Like, is that something that you notice in your experience? Were you open to that? Like Working with other social workers, like... So I feel like when I was working here in Virginia, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I used to work here as a coach before... I went um, back into grad school and there was times where on certain cases I would reach out to like a DCF worker and give them updates on like some of the things that they were doing mm-hmm. um, and I feel like the the DCF social worker was not always very responsive um, and I don't know if it was just because of overload or if they just didn't feel comfortable working or communicating with another social worker. I will say we got on a couple Zoom calls and like my client, I think my job was to protect them, mm-hmm. right? And I tell them all the time, yo, you cannot wild out on this call. Mm-hmm. I can though, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I will wild out that. that you have to maintain your composure. Mm-hmm. I'll go in, they want to yell at me, that's fine. But I'm going to say things that, you know, maybe you want to say, but if you say or you, you might get too riled mm-hmm. up. They so. all got too wrong. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll be... Father you know. is bad-tempered. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But like, his coach, though, is <laughs> wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think, like, it necessarily wasn't always, like, um, that connection was not always conducive to collaboration. And I, I really, really, truly believe that it's based off of workers being overworked. Yeah. Do you have time to process what's happening in front of you? Period. Yeah. Like if I don't, if if I'm on the go twenty four seven, and I get a voicemail from David saying, "Hey, I want to talk about my 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 client who's been working really hard. Did he attend the training? Checkbox. Okay. He he. Did he learn anything? Well, he had an attitude, but oh, he had an attitude. Th- that's the highlight yeah. more so than you know. So you yeah. have to be very mindful wow. um, of how people are processing. So no, they don't have the time. Uh, I gotta go pick up your kid from school right now and you want me to sit down and have a full conversation, I have a conversation with your coach about what you're doing. DCF, give me the time to sit down and have this conversation. I don't have the time right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's clients who have been reprimanded for showing emotions during visits with their children, Mm -hmm. which blew my mind, but these are the things they write down and put on paper. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think it's that they don't wanna collab I just really think it comes down to, to time. Yeah. I think the best thing, I think it will shape us as better clinicians if we have the time to sit down yeah. and collab with other clinicians and discuss Absolutely. what's going on with, with, the, with the client. I agree. Wrong. It needs I to be a whole best. team effort. Yeah, Absolutely. holistically, like it needs to be that. Even with teachers and people inside the children's schools, mm-hmm. their doctors, everyone needs to come together and collaborate. Absolutely. Yeah. 
this is like a complete aside, but I was just like hearing that like essentially like I don't know if you guys know about like dental insurance. Mm-hmm. Like dentists in general essentially have their own separate system for how they process like ev- everything from like the regular health system and because of that like that's why like it's so hard to get dental insurance and like like a lot of dentists like don't take Medicaid you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like yo like they only hold certain hours during the day and like it's not as accessible and like oral health is an issue yo it's crazy it it's is crazy. yeah I should say crazy crazy this time it's wild everything <laughs> builds upon each other and everything affects you eventually it might come out in different ways but it's gonna affect you absolutely yeah Sorry, I just went off on a wild tangent. No, we get it, it, we get it. It applies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, we got to take care of our constituents. You know what I'm saying? All the clients. Everybody listening. Yo, also, just quick affirmation. Yo, we love you. Yeah. If you're listening right now, we love you. <laughs> mm-hmm. We appreciate you, you know? Um, okay. Um, so, I do want to ask another question. I'm trying to, like, get to get to the ins and outs of the DCF system, you know? Um, so, Shante, what do you think, um, like, DCF and other organizations can do to better, like, empower families? Um, and build like and they will lead to healthier stronger outcomes for kids so the first thing is you cannot read a book by its cover mm-hmm. we have to open it up it may take some time but we have to learn people yeah. you have to figure out what's underneath the surface yeah. just because somebody has been to jail doesn't automatically equate to them being bad mm-hmm. um DCF can better support uh, by looking at the whole picture and bringing support and light to effective co-parenting. Mm-hmm. We can't look at a family that's broken up as just device of the mama's over there, the dad is over there, the kids are over here. Yeah. We have to figure out how we can bring everybody to the table. Mm-hmm. If, these, if um, domestic violence is a factor and the parents can't be together, let's bring in the resources mm-hmm. that support both mom and dad yeah. and, and the children um, in order to, to build effectively parent, parent, parent the children. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what else? Um, some. Oh, this is a good one. Some of these parent and child visitations that we have, they need to be therapeutic family sessions. DCF needs to pull on some of those resources like therapy for um, the family because when a child is removed, there is so much trauma underneath yeah. there mm-hmm. for both the parents and the children. You bringing that child back in there is re-traumatizing them Absolutely. without the support needed to build a better relationship with their parents. You know what? That's actually a good segue because, Shakina, I want to ask you a question. Um, How, like, do you help fathers develop, like, healthy coping skills and, like, so that they can manage the stress in their lives? Because I feel like anytime I talk to the dads and, like, I work with them as coaches, like, they describe their situations and I'm like, man, I don't don't know how you're getting through it. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I use strength best strength-based perspectives by speaking life into them and helping them to understand how vital their roles are in their children's lives and that they matter. Um, Helping them to identify their triggers so instead of getting angry and upset during a disagreement with their co-parenting or their DCF worker or anyone in the streets for that matter that they can um, that can get them into trouble or land them in jail they can walk away and remove themselves from the situation. Um, They can practice practice healthy communication um, you know, giving people a turn to talk and listen to understand instead of just talking over each other and arguing um, and understanding that everyone's not on their healing journey mm. yeah. the way they currently are. So everyone doesn't have the tools to effectively communicate um, so they can only control themselves and their actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also by introducing them to journaling as a way to get their thoughts on paper, even going back and reading a journal in moments of self-reflection as a way to measure their growth. 
um, helping them with breathing techniques and teaching them how to utilize breath work during moments of anxiety and overwhelming thoughts, telling them it's okay to cry, assuring them that they have a safe space and can be vulnerable, which is hard for many. They don't usually get to hear things like that. Yeah. So just giving them a non-judgmental environment. Yeah. No, that's that's important because I'll tell you what. I feel like once I felt self, like safe being able to cry, I do it all the time and I feel great. Mm-hmm. They'll be feeling so good. Just let one off, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of these dads come to me saying, I have nobody to talk to about this stuff. You're the only person I have. Yeah, so literally just sitting there and listening to them mm-hmm. is what they need. If, if, someone, if someone's listening right now and they're like really struggling, they're like, yo, I'm, I'm having a hard time with like stress and anxiety. What would be like the first like first thing they can do to get started to feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like something, they can do something to help themselves in a tough spot. Like I said, um, work on breath work. Work yeah. on your triggers. Recognizing okay, I'm having these negative thoughts. Why am I having them? What just happened to start producing these negative thoughts? And, yeah. you know, what can I do to not go down the same road again? Yeah. Just, you know, stepping outside of the situation and looking at it for what it is and not getting yeah. caught up in the moment. Yeah. And just taking it day by day. It can get overwhelming if you're trying to put the whole world on your shoulders. So take it day by day, break it down into steps. Um, and ultimately, reach out for help. Yeah. We all need help. So yeah. reach out for it. Father's Uplift is here. Yeah. Um, you know, call us, get on that wait list. <laughs> you got a wait list now. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Can I just add that um, a lot of times we don't give ourselves enough grace? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I tell my dad's mm-hmm. a lot too. Acknowledge the work that you've done. Like, you woke up this morning. That's right. Kudos yeah. to you Absolutely. for getting about the bed. Yeah. You thought about your child today. Yeah. Kudos to you for being here and thinking about your child. Yeah, and going so hard for them. And going so hard for them. Kudos it's to not you for easy. To a podcast that yeah. might help you with it's that. It's not right. easy showing up to these therapy sessions every week, these groups. You know, they have to work, they got so much going on. And sometimes it's hard just being in a group of strangers and being vulnerable. So if you're showing up, that's the first step and that's a yes. huge step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's interesting is like I you go we go to you know, these BU social work classes. But sometimes <laughs> they like tell you stuff and I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to use any of this. Yeah, right. But one thing I will say is like, yo, liberation help. I feel like every session I'm in there drawing a triangle and I'm like, all right, let me talk to you about this stuff working against you, bro. And I think like that, that really does help. Um, a lot of uh, the dads that we work with, I think just like having that perspective. Um, but thank you for sharing that. Cause I think those are like solid tips. I think especially like people don't underestimate like, the power of like breath work yeah. or like just like silent reflection you know what I'm saying like Absolutely. sit down and just think about it like and you just have let's to. trace back yeah you have to yeah because I think oftentimes like I get mad like that's like my first instinct then. Yeah. and then I have to like sit and like actually think like I take a few deep breaths and I'm like alright why am I so mad and like finally I trace myself back to and especially when you're issue. a dad you know just being a parent in general you can get frustrated with life and you gotta go home and your kids are calling you all the time and it's like just leave me alone give me a minute but sometimes you got to reel that in and bring it back calm down for a minute Mm -hmm. and go out there and be parent no that's real (laughs) so actually um tricky to tell me um can you share like a success story that you had with the father that you worked with and maybe just kind of tell us about some of the changes that kind of came through your work with them absolutely i have one client um that i was working with for a few months and he was really my most consistent client um He had two children in DCF. Um, The moms were dealing with substance use, so it was really all on him. Um, You know, he had to, they had to move out of their apartment, so he was living with family now. He's working two jobs. He's constantly, you know, going to see the kids every weekend. He's stressed out because 
you know, his daughter, his son was moved around to maybe two or three different homes in less than a year. They yeah. separated him, the son and the daughter. So it was just a lot of stressful situations. Um, you know, his daughter was going to therapy. His son wasn't eating enough. So things that would make me sick as a parent, not being yeah. able to be there and, you know, rescue your child. Yeah. But he did everything he had to do. He was going to parenting groups. Um, and he got his kids back right before Christmas. And That's it made beautiful. me so happy for him. And, you know, I want to say I helped, but all I did was a little bit. He did yeah. all the work. He stayed consistent and committed. Yeah. You know, he saved up, got an apartment. Father's help, Father's Uplift helped him with some funding. But um, it all worked out well for him. And that's my greatest success story so far. And I'm just overwhelmingly happy for him. That's so dope, yeah. I can hear it in your voice, <laughs> yo. I love that. <laughs> yo, yo. This is, oh, that was beautiful. I love that. Love that. Yeah, you got a story like that? I think I that, that was my challenge. Yeah, it, that's, that's what it was reminded it me of. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, when you advocate hard for a family to be together and that, that reunification happens, it's yeah. the best feeling ever. Like, to see a, a child embrace their parents, like, they're able to go home. That's dope. Mm. That's, that's like, the best feeling. Yeah, and just telling him, you know, stay strong every week. I know mm -hmm. it's easier said than done, but... Stay strong. You're gonna get through this, and he got through it. So and seeing him get through the hurdles, though, like yeah. when you know that there's a system stacked up against yep. you, and you got you just keep moving and pressing past all of that, and you finally get what you reach for. Yes. Like that's just like it's it's crazy. It's dope. To it's, yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so Shakina, what do you think is like your ultimate goal um, in your work with fathers, and what do you hope to take away um, like from this experience? Um, so my ultimate goal when working with fathers is that they leave knowing they have self-determination over their lives. Mm -hmm. So many of our dads had to live under the rules of um, others, whether it was their own mothers, CEOs at jails, um, women they had to depend on for housing, um, their co-parents telling them when and where they can see their children, you know, uh, oppressive boss at work. Um, I, want some, I want them to know they matter. Um, they're the experts of their lives. And, you know, you tell me what you want, and I'm going to work and help you get that. Mm -hmm. um, and what I, what I want them to take away from my support is that they matter and they need it. I also want to hold them accountable for making the changes that are necessary to lead a full, to lead a full life of freedom and joy, whatever, they met, whatever that might look like for them. Okay. Okay. I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. So... I wanted to ask you a question, because you're no longer at DCF, right? No, no. All right, before we get off the DCF topic, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you one more DCF it's fine, question. It's fine. Okay, um, how would you say, like, how did your work at DCF impact your personal and professional growth? Um, like, are you glad you worked there? Did you I'm appreciate the experience? I'm glad I had the experience. experience. Yeah? I'm glad I had the experience, because our families need advocates. Yeah. Um, so, for me, it was, like... I guess, how did it impact me personally? It created a, a, a space for me to identify with where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to advocate for families. Okay. Um, so coming into a system that is viewed as, oh, they're child snatchers. Yeah. Um, and choosing, in my mind, that's not who, who I'm going to be. Yeah. Um, being able to go into that environment and still advocate for families to be, be together and reunified yeah. was important for me. It gave me a voice. Um, a child's livelihood is more important than taking a child from their parents. Yeah. That may not always be the answer. Uh, professionally, I found a new level to my voice 
Um, transitioning into a medical social worker, always thinking about what is best for the patient. Uh-huh. DCF has been that for me. Um, personally, valuing the relationship that I have with my own children yeah. because not everybody has that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And working with these dads in DCF makes me want to just go home and hug my daughter every night. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate you so much. I love you so much because it's hard. And I can never imagine being in this situation. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. So you said you're a medical social worker now. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a thing. I think this social work is such a broad field. It really is. We don't even like... We got to research. It's like, it's like yo, you know what? I The way my interaction with social work has been is kind of like, I think, how people dealt with like first learning about the internet. It's like, oh, it's a powerful tool. Cool. What can I do with it? You know? like, with it, But there's just so much we can do. And you specifically said you're a liver transplant A liver transplant social worker. Okay. T- tell me about that. That sounds fascinating. I want to hear all about that. It's so funny because people yeah. are like, you, you work in liver? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Like, it's... You know, I didn't realize, um, well, first of all, I feel like the term is more, um, people view it as more higher esteem than I do, like, because I work there, I guess. So for me, let me just keep it real. What I do is, I help people who come in with substance use disorders either get approved for a liver or deferred or denied. Okay. So it's it's a tough job in that stance. You might get someone coming in with an alcohol use disorder and they have two months of sobriety versus someone coming in with six months of sobriety. Who gets the liver? Does one get deferred um, and come back when you have more time, when you have more sobriety? Or does the one with two years get approved? And if they have two years and they have a relapse, do they get kicked off the list? Oof. Then you have people sitting on the list from five to twenty years, yeah. so it's it's a tough job. Um, it, it is, it is, because it's kind of like life or death for yeah. a lot of people. And it's not that I'm sitting as a social worker and I make that decision on my own. I do not. We work as a multidisciplinary team with surgeons, uh, transplant doctors, uh, uh, nutritionists, um, nurse coordinators. So there's a broad spectrum of people who come together and decide is this person a good fit for a liver transplant. But from this um, stand, it's really looking at them from a psychosocial perspective and seeing if they have the level of supports needed and um, whether or not they're a good, a good fit. Now, the other side of this is, how does this relate to, your, to you and to who you are? You're down there at Mass General working on who gets a liver transplant with a bunch of people who are drinking their livers away, some of them. Um, there are also a bunch of people of color who need an advocate as to why they should be transplanted. And that, that for me is, like, I have found my voice in that work. Yeah. So whether it is 80% um, white people who come in and need a liver transplant, and there are 15% people of color who may be denied because they have health-related issues like diabetes, mm-hmm. or they're overweight, and it's like, oh, well, they have sickle cell. Then they might, their liver might not last. If we put a new liver in them, it might not last. Or they don't have the social supports in order to... That's crazy. So it's, it's, and it's like, well... Let's dig around and find some support for these people. Because you don't so have the social support. You yeah. don't get a liver. Yeah. That's, that's real. That's, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. That's hard. Yeah. So how do you compare this job to DCF? Do you think it's a huge step up from DCF? How's the case look compared to DCF? Mm, I can't call it a, a, a step up. Because I feel like DCF for me is hard work. One of the things that I didn't discuss is that mm. I was a DCF kid. You know, I um, 
it was taken away from my mother at the age of eight years old wow. with the white woman who pulled up in a convertible. Okay. And so for me, it was, you know, let's go back and see what you can do for, DC, for, the, for the other families in DCF. Yeah. Because you knew that they took you away from your mother and there were other solutions. There were other resources that could have helped to put your parents in a better position yeah. in order to effectively care for you. Were my, what, was my family doing things that resulted in us being taken away? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And my mother worked her ass off to make sure we got back home. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So understanding that, I wanted to go and be that for other families in DCF. That work is still very meaningful for me. However, the system is so jacked up, it's not going to retain social workers, not good ones, yeah. who, who want to be there and make, the, make that, that change. Other people are there to work overtime and get that money, and like, oh, I'm, I'm making a difference. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But the ones who are going to sit down and say, yeah, you were incarcerated. Yep, you slapped your baby mama. Mm-hmm. And... That doesn't mean it's your bad father. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what brings me to Fathers Uplift because my dad was incarcerated. So working with these dads and connecting them back with their children, um, that's kind of my hard work, especially mm-hmm. the children of the incarcerated because mm-hmm. that was me. And that's what really social work is. We go through experience in life and we want to give back to those who are now currently facing those situations. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so, so there's that. So social work, DCF is very heartfelt for me. And liver transplant is also very heartfelt for me because I had family members who passed away from liver disease because I had a 30 year old cousin who passed away from kidney disease Mm. who were, they weren't good fits for transplant Mm -hmm. because they didn't have the adequate health care needed. They didn't have the supports as they viewed them to be adequate candidates. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So social work is from all different lenses. Yeah, it has absolutely. a meaning. Yeah. 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 Uh, and like, yo, again, like I feel like we're all drawn to, to the work for specific reasons that hit. It's very intimate. Um, it can be he- heavy for us. And and so like, it's dope to see that, you know, I mean, I hate to say like that you have this connection, but I think it makes you better for your role. You mm-hmm. know? Um, I don't know if you guys have ever read um, The Will. No. Uh, it's a book by Viktor Frankl, uh, and it's um, basically he is a. Uh, it's called um, Meaning of Life, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Sorry, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and he talks about how like things that impact us can actually end up being a strength yep. if we're able to kind of like reframe it and use it as like kind of like our driver. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, like, really incredible, like, you guys are showing, like, this resilience to life, and, you know, like, you were handed these lemons, and y'all made no, more than No, and honestly, it in. wasn't until maybe my senior year of undergrad where I met this professor, um, and she's really the one who showed me how, you know, what I thought as a weakness, and, oh, I don't want to talk yeah. about this, was yeah. actually my strength. Absolutely. And I ran with that ever since, and it's like, that's what brought me here yeah. today, because mm-hmm. now... That's it. That is my strength. That's what my, I base my work on. Like, yeah. I'm always putting myself in my client's shoes. What would I do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's dope. I love that. And with all of that, as a social worker, comes self-care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I do. And that's why I want to, after you did all your explaining about DCF, I want to shout out to Father's Uplift, 
who doesn't overwhelm <laughs> their clinicians Word. with these huge caseloads, who um, put self-care at the top of our list. Yeah. You know, if we need a day off, take a day off. If we need to take a walk, take a walk. Yeah. If we need our to bring our kids into work with us. Like, yeah. so many of our staff just had babies this past year. Yeah. So we're seeing infants and toddlers running around the office all the time. And you're not it's gonna actually get that pretty a, great. Yeah, it's you're not going to get great. that at a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And they, like, force us to take, like, time. Yeah, you know, I, you know um, my dad's birthday was on the 31st. I was feeling bad the day after. I called Samantha and Monique. I was like, oh, can I work from home? They're like, no, just take the day off, process. And any other job would have never done that for me. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Right. I just want to make sure I voice that. Yeah, no, that's a big facts. Question for both of you. I mean, we're wrapping up here, but what are you, some of your famous self-care activities? Hiking. Hiking? Okay. You gotta hike around here. I gotta shout out my bestie, um, Rakina, who introduced me to it. She's all the way in Atlanta, but she would be like, go hike. And I'm like, hike. It's nice. <laughs> and I, I took my first walk up Blue Hills, and I was like, this is relaxing. It's so yeah, relaxing. Yeah. Just being in nature. Oh, man. Oh, absolutely. At my heaviest moments, when I feel like I'm about to break down, I will go yeah. walk up a hill yeah. and be like, I just left all of that down there. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so... Yeah. yeah. And so. if you do a little drive to like, if you yeah, want to drive an hour or two, good. you can always get to like New Hampshire or something like that. Um, I recently life. started going back to the gym this week. I took about oh. three weeks off, but I started going back. Shout Ooh. out to Planet Fitness. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, and just you know, <laughs> <laughs> taking that time for self, man, you have to. And yeah. I stress that to my clients. It's not selfish to take time for yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's true. How about you? Oh, you get us the hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing I want to get into, right? It's Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Um, and the theme of Black History Month this year is Black Resistance. Um, so I guess I just want to ask y'all, like, what's kind of like an example of Black Resistance that you've kind of participated in recently, like in your role or in, in your personal life? Man, I would say <laughs> graduating from Boston University. <laughs> I'm like the first one in my immediate family to get my master's. I question myself so much. You know, why am I doing this? Why am I here? There's times where I had to explain my life to a class full of white students, and I just had so Talk much anxiety. Talk about but it. I made it through. So that's my story of resistance, being this education and helping my people out. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else y'all want to do? A quick little shout outs for, for, for the fam or anything? You got to shout out your kids, first of all. All right, I want to shout out my daughter, Alyssa. Mommy yeah. loves you. Um, you know, Shantae's best friend is my my big, my first cousin, Ooh. So, Ooh. You know, we're all, we're all out here working in the human service field trying to make a difference for people of color. Yeah. And shout out to the social workers of color. Yes! <laughs> 
Let's go. That right there. It's yeah. not always easy. It's not ever yeah. easy for us, but we're still out here. Yeah. Still in the community. And we are changing the narrative. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know the and fuck you find? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shout out my little ones too. Noah is 11, and he's going to be so lit when he hears his mommy mention his name on the podcast. Yeah. So shout out to Noah and Excel Studios. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> um, Serenity, um, my one year old, who is a gem, and Jason, who's my stepson. Shout out to all of y'all. I love y'all. Yeah, and no, I love that. I love that. Um, and I'm telling y'all, like, right now, play this podcast for your kid in the car while you're driving around. You're famous. You know what I'm saying? These kids are famous now. Absolutely. So you made it. You didn't even have to do nothing. Mo- <laughs> right. mo- mommy took care of it. You know right. what I'm saying? No one's a goat. And compliment someone else. And just remember that we are here. We got your back and we love you.